Well, welcome to our third season of Knowledge Cast. If you're a regular listener, we're certainly glad to have you back. And if you're a first time listener, welcome. And we hope that uh, you enjoy today's podcast and we'll come back next week. We have a great list of guests this fall and you can read about them by going to jackwwilliams.com and scroll down to the podcast section. Well, today our guest is Ed Stewart. Ed had a remarkable career, first as a uh, college athlete at Nebraska and then spending 25 years in collegiate athletic administration. Ed was the captain and an All-American on Nebraska's 1994 National Championship football team. He later was named to Nebraska's All-Century team, which is pretty amazing with the history of great players there at Nebraska, but then in addition to that was named to Nebraska's Hall of Fame. Ed started his athletic administration career at Michigan State as a academic advisor for the football team, and then he moved to the University of Missouri as Associate Athletic Director. Ed has spent the last 16 years working at the Big 12 Conference Office and is currently Executive Commissioner for Football for the Conference. Well, welcome, Ed, to KnowledgeCast. Great to be with you, Jack. Good to see you, my friend. Well, now that uh, you've now been on our podcast series, we only need to get your daughter, Ava, on to complete the entire Stewart family. We, we had Ed's wife, uh, Amy, who owns a very successful law firm there in Dallas uh, on earlier. And if you didn't catch that one, I want to encourage you to go back and do that. And uh, But also, before we leave the Stewart family, Ed, I had forgotten that you got your degree in psychology. Uh, I bet that uh, you've that's kind of come in handy being married to Amy, hasn't it? Well, I think it's come in handy uh, being married to Amy, but uh, certainly it's come in handy working in college athletics. <laughs> you, you probably needed a, a secondary degree in comedy uh, for the college <laughs> athletics. Well, not many athletes can say that they, they played on a national championship team, were captain or an All-American status, named to the school's Hall of Fame. Tell us about your uh, Nebraska career, and especially that 1994 national championship season where you beat uh, Miami in the Orange Bowl in their own backyard. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, probably, Jack, like like most competitors, I think less about that 1994 team and national championship. Um, I probably uh, have more, more memories of our 1993 team and our devastating loss that we had to uh, Bobby Bowden and his Charlie Ward led uh, Florida State Seminole team. We, we were playing them for the championship in 93, uh, and we lost that game uh, 18 to 16. And, and I probably have more flashbacks of, you know, the final couple series of, of that drive, and, and we had the lead, and Florida State got themselves down in the field goal range and, and kicked the field goal. So I've certainly relived that drive uh, several times, even to this day. Um, but the 94 championship team, it, it was a special team. Uh, it was a special year. Uh, we had to overcome a lot of adversity um, throughout that season. And it was remarkable because up until that point, um, I was 0 for 3 in bowl games playing in the Orange Bowl all three times. We played Miami. Um, that was our second time playing them, and we had played Florida State twice. So it was really an awesome experience uh, to be a part of Coach Osborne's first championship team. Well, I remember the Florida State game. Uh, I didn't know you at the time, obviously, uh, but I remember that. And you're right, most uh, most athletes remember the ones that they wish they had won rather than 
the one that they had. Besides winning, going back to the 94 championship, besides winning the game, was there anything uh, unusual that occurred or memorable about that championship game? You know, like I said, we, we had a lot of adversity to, to overcome uh, during that season. Uh, Tommy Frazier, who is our um, really tremendously talented quarterback, um, suffered some, some injuries. He had some blood clot issues early on in that season. Uh, we lost one of our really strong defensive players, a guy named Mike Mentor, uh, Mentor who went on to play a long career for the, uh, the Carolina Panthers. I believe we lost him. Uh, right before the the season start started, and even our our backup quarterback um, Brooke Beringer, uh, R.I.P., who's uh, since passed away in a tragic plane um, accident. Um, you know, we had issues with him health wise uh, throughout the season, so it was really uh, one of the truest senses of a team accomplishment. Uh, there were certain weeks where the offense carried the defense, and and vice versa, and special teams were certainly uh, important. So that in and of itself made it a very special year. But, you know, the one thing I take away from that game is Coach Osborne's um, halftime speech. And I believe we were down uh, at halftime. And, and then Coach Osborne was very prophetic in his halftime talk where he, he emphasized us uh, maintaining our composure and, and not being the one uh, to draw an unsportsmanlike uh, foul in the second half because, you know, as most of those games are, they're, they're highly contested and can get chippy at times. Uh, he emphasized, you know, our level of, of preparation uh, and our physical conditioning and how that those things he believed uh, would lead us to victory in the second half. And uh, he, he couldn't have uh, forecast a better script. We went out in the second half, and I recall – I believe Miami had two critical uh, personal fouls called against them and our, our big offensive line eventually, uh, you know, wore down uh, Warren Sapp and, and Ray Lewis and those guys on the other side. So he was, he, he was certainly spot on in us maintaining our composure and proving to, to be the most well-conditioned team in the second half. Well, you obviously had a privilege playing with a, a legend uh, as a coach, as a person later as a, uh, congressman, but uh, what an opportunity to play with him. Well, you were there for four years. You mentioned several of the names of guys that were there in the 94 season uh, and the adversity. Uh, were there any other players during your four years there that, that you remember more than others? You, you know, um, I, I remember being in awe uh, coming in as a true freshman and my first time to really truly see the black shirts uh, up in person and uh, up close and personal, uh, you know, guys like Reggie Cooper. Um, um, <clears throat> uh, Explain what I know what you're talking about. Explain what the black shirts mean. Yeah. So uh, the, the legend of the black shirts at Nebraska, those are the, the starting uh, defensive players. Uh, and it was really a, a honor uh, to, to walk into your locker as a defensive player and see that black jersey. Uh, hanging in your locker. There was no special presentation of it. You just showed up for practice one day, and if you had earned it, uh, it was there in your locker. And, and they were they were pretty sacred in the fact that there may only be 12, 13 guys at the most um, when we first started out that would have the opportunity to don um, that, that black jersey. But, you know, Mike Kroll and 
uh, Kenny Walker. There were just some really impressive um, defensive players that um, that you got to see running around. And as of course, as a young person, as a true freshman at that time, it was something uh, that that you aspired to earn. And and I was fortunate to to be able to wear a black shirt for uh, three years um, at Nebraska. So certainly a um, a crowning achievement for me. You know, I want to go back to <clears throat> Coach Osborne's halftime talk. You know, if you've ever played sports, uh, everybody remembers a coach's pregame or, or halftime talk. And I was recruited by Bobby Dodd, the legend Georgia Tech, but I never played for him. He retired after that and was AD. But I remember my first game on the varsity, uh, the head coach that replaced him asked Coach Dodd to give the pregame talk. And to this day, I have no idea what he said, but I knew that we had just won the game. <laughs> and we, had him, and we had him play just because of, of that, you know, that legend that you just uh, you believed every word he said. Well, you know, I, I believe this and it's held true professionally as well. But um, communication matters. Uh, building relationships matter. Uh, quick story. You know, when I was a true freshman um, at Nebraska, obviously, I came out there from from Chicago and um, and redshirted and uh, you know we we always had the the big game against Oklahoma that was right around Thanksgiving holiday uh, and I'll never forget Coach Osborne used to uh, run laps around the practice field uh, every day after practice and um, you know of course I wasn't playing I wasn't playing all season and uh, the coach had made an announcement that. Uh, Everybody, he needed everybody to stay through uh, Thursday or Friday. Of course, the game was on Saturday. And well, my parents had already bought me a, uh, a plane ticket to come back home for, for Thanksgiving. And I'll never forget, he's out running and you know, I kind of sheepishly, you know, uh, nervously approach him to one, ask if I could talk to him. And, and a couple of things stood out. One, he stopped what he was doing. He stopped the middle of his workout. I asked if I could speak with him and he didn't say we could talk later or come by the office. Right. He stopped at that point in time. We walked into the coach's office and he said, so, so for one, he said my name, which of course, as a true freshman, I was kind of surprised. He, he knows my name. There's a hundred and some guys out here. And I said, you know, coach, I, my mom bought me a, a, a plane ticket and I was wondering if there's any way I could leave the, the day before he said that he needed everybody to stay. And never forget, he paused, he kind of put his hand on his chin and he thought about it. And he said, well, sure, I, I think that'll be okay. But that one interaction uh, for me meant the world to me. And yeah. that one interaction really won me over at a very early stage that said, yeah, I'll follow this guy. You know, I'll work hard for this guy. And I think that that's a lesson that, that I've certainly uh, tried to take with me about being patient, uh, having time uh, for those that I work with and those that work for me, and then being an effective communicator. So I just had to share that story with and you. And he, he probably never knew the impact that it had on you. Yeah, sure. Well, let's, uh, let's move to your current role with the Big 12 Conference. Share with the group how you interact with the conference schools in your role as executive commissioner. Well, this is certainly where that um, 
I believe psychology degree comes in hand <laughs> much <laughs> more than that sports management emphasis, that master's uh, that I have. But but essentially, um, I'm the point person for for all things uh, football. So I deal with the day to day um, game operations. I deal with um, officiating. Uh, I deal with scheduling. Uh, I deal with um, uh, with with media issues, I deal with um, you know our our television components and our postseason uh, partnerships with our bowls like the Sugar Bowl and uh, and other bowls and our relationship uh, with the college football playoff. So um, and then of course some of the governance and, and legislation uh, that that outlines the rules uh, for for the sport of college football. So I've been doing that now, like you said, for. For 16 years, uh, I have regular communication with our athletic directors uh, and, and head football coaches. So, you know, when I was on campus, it was always interesting. You were trying to uh, manage and work with one coach and get them uh, on the same page. And so you can imagine what it's like when you're trying to do that with um, 10 highly competitive uh, individuals who certainly um, have their, uh, rightfully so, have their individual programs uh, front and center, but um, equally need to get them to focus at times on the greater good uh, for the entire conference. So uh, it's a lot of fun, uh, but it certainly can can provide its, uh, its challenges at times. I, I can only imagine dealing with that many personalities and, uh, uh, as you said, strong, dominant, competitive folks and always trying to uh, read between the lines on, on issues. Well, let, let me give you a little soft question here now that we've had some tough ones. Uh, with all the ongoing talk of expanding the playoff system, conference expansion, realignment, creating a possible super conference of the top, you know, the power five teams, and let's throw in name, image, and likeness. What do you see happening in the coming years? Well, for starters, I'd like to go back to Nebraska so I could get some name, image, and likeness <laughs> opportunities. Maybe we can do it retroactive. <laughs> I don't think that happened. Uh, that will happen. But I I'd, have to, you, I'd have to change my name to get name, image, and likeness. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, you, you touched on a lot of the uh, pressing and hot button issues. And um, to say that at times it's not exhausting. Um, would be uh, disingenuous uh, on my part. Um, but I think it really boils down to evolution. Uh, I, I think too often in college athletics, we've probably been uh, a few steps slow in evolving uh, with the times. Um, you know, a lot of that is a, uh, a function of the structure. You know, there are over 300 uh, Division I institutions. There are um, 128 uh, football, what we call football bowl subdivision institutions, those that are right. playing football at the highest levels. And there couldn't be a greater variance among that 128, let alone that 300 that consider themselves as division one, which has certainly um, made it hard to govern. It's made it hard 
for those who have the financial wherewithal uh, to be able to do things that were more uh, player friendly um, from an incentive standpoint, uh, some of the health and safety uh, standpoints, because there's a lot of schools in that 300 um, that just can't afford to, to do some of the things that we find ourselves being legislated uh, to do currently. So it, it's certainly made for a, um, uh, an interesting time um, in our profession. I like to uh, look at it as evolution, and it's something that um, we've just got to figure out what we want the future of this model to look like. Um, but even as we evolve, uh, I think for me personally, um, the one thing that I think is critical that I hope we don't lose sight of, and when you listen to certain politicians talk, uh, when you listen to certain individuals talk about the, the state of the game and the state of the industry, uh, fundamentally at its core, uh, college athletics was second to the GI Bill in providing uh, lots of young people opportunities to get free educations at some of the nation's most elite uh, institutions of higher learning. And I hope that we don't fundamentally lose focus on that fact of those opportunities that uh, lots of young people, male and female, from all walks of life have been afforded opportunities uh, to get outstanding educations at some, some, some world-class uh, institutions. Because as you and I both know, we've played this game, uh, you've coached this game, you know, there's, there's only 2% of college athletes that are going on to professional careers. Well, you know, I'm, I'm probably one of those that's slow and evolving. I, I, I like to uh, emphasize the point that you talked about, the education and the benefits that these young folks get uh, besides the athletic experience. So I'm, I'm kind of a late adapter or adopter uh, to some of the changes. Uh, of those that we talked about, those situations, is there one that that concerns you the most? That's the most uh, could cause the most damage to the game. Uh, you know, I, I think the um, evolution of the whole pay for play uh, concept. Um, I certainly think, and certainly support opportunities for uh, student athletes to to monetize their name, image, and likeness. I think. Um, when that was originally brought forward, uh, people looked at it uh, from more of the Olympic lens that, you know, if there's a legitimate corporation out there that um, wants to develop into a relationship with a young person and there's value on both sides that, hey, that's great. We applaud you. If a young person had the opportunity to, um, you know, do lessons if they're a kicker or, or a quarterback and they can find a way to monetize that on the side, that's great. I think that um, what it's unfortunately evolved to is, is just essentially um, these collectives and directives and groups of individuals and donors who are just simply pooling money together and finding ways to, to funnel it um, to players. That, that was not the intent um, of name, image, and likeness. And I think we have to be careful uh, when there are some who, who advocate just a pure business model of employer, employee, pay for play, right? because a lot of people don't understand how the economics work uh, within the athletic departments and for the sports that do generate the revenues 
uh, how those funds are spent um, throughout an athletic program. And so uh, we could find ourselves um, with a collegiate environment that looks very different um, than, than what we see today. And that could be in the uh, number of sports that are offered and who has the opportunities to participate in those sports. I agree. I, I think that's the biggest, uh, you, you live it every day, but from an outside looking in, that's the one that concerns me the most. One more question before I let you go. Uh, the Big 12 going through kind of an unusual year this year with Oklahoma and Texas uh, indicating they're going to move to the SEC in a few years. And then you've also brought in uh, BYU, Houston, Central Florida, and Cincinnati that will be joining you in 23. How has your job been affected as you deal with all those kind of dynamics in addition to what you have to do normally? That's a lot of moving parts, literally. Uh, that's a lot of moving parts to deal with. There have been a lot of what-if scenarios, too. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. lots, of, lots of contingency plans uh, planned at, at, at one point in time. We were I was planning uh, football schedules and uh, competitive models for anywhere from 10 to 11 to to 14 <laughs> right. member institutions. So I think it's uh, it's good to have a bit more clarity now that uh, we, we know what we anticipate looking like. Um, certainly for this year, 2022, we'll continue at 10. Uh, and then starting in 2023, we uh, certainly anticipate uh, uh, operating as a 14-team league. But I think I used the word uh, exhausting earlier when we were talking about a lot of the issues uh, facing the, the industry at this point in time. And I think when it comes to a lot of this, um, you know, realignment and transition uh, talk, I think uh, awkward is <laughs> a great adjective <laughs> to, to describe some of our meetings and conversations at times. I'm going to date myself uh, uh, for, for one generation, but I would guess some of your schedules uh, look like Etch-a-Sketches there for a while, trying to figure <laughs> out how that was going to work. Yeah, uh, sometimes, sometimes pencil is a lot better than ink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Ed, listen, thanks so much for being with us today. We're, we're taping this prior to the football season starting, so I hope you can enjoy a little downtime before the football mania gets started in August, and I hope that you'll give uh, – Give my best to Amy and, and tell Ava that don't give up. You know, she too might have an opportunity to get on this podcast in the future. Well, I, I, Jack, I just tell you, I, I want to applaud you um, for everything that, that you're doing and have been doing for a number of years. Um, you do a great job. You're, you are certainly um, uh, a representative of, of what uh, opportunities in sport uh, can lead to, um, hopefully, uh, myself and Amy and others are also equally um, uh, able to, to represent for a lot of folks out there what uh, post-athletic careers uh, predominantly look like. We, we all won't go on to uh, these extraordinary professional careers making, making millions and millions of dollars, but there are certainly so many ways that we can have influence and have an impact uh, within the world of sports, within the legal professions, uh, and other walks of life. So I just wanted to to applaud you and, and your team in Madison for, for all of your great work. Well, I, I don't think there's any question. Uh, Amy and Ed Stewart are definitely positive role models for, for anybody and everybody. Well, as we close out another podcast, I want to uh, 
Once again, I encourage each of you to make it uh, your goal this week to be a positive influence in the lives of others. And I look forward to having you back with us. Hey, before you go, we wanted to let you know about Jack's book called The Question, a guide to answering life's most important question. In this book, Jack shares his personal journey that began in 1993 to determine the values, principles, and beliefs that would guide his life. Whether you are a spouse, parent, grandparent, friend, leader, educator, coach, or mentor, Jack's I Believe statements apply to all the roles he has played during his lifetime and can do the same for you. Jack's message applies to all people, ages, and careers. It's an easy read with compelling stories, enjoyable humor, and sincere transparency. The question is now available in ebook and paperback exclusively on Amazon. Go to jackwwilliams.com slash the question to learn more and buy your copy today. Again, thanks for joining us for this episode and join us next week for an all new episode of Knowledge Cast by Ideals.